Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Today we're starting a brand new Christmas series And the title of the series is called No Room. Like, what do you do when you run out of options? You go on a road trip and you didn't book the VRBO or the hotel or whatever. What do you do when you're out of options? And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the Christmas story. The year was 2002, and uh, Jerry and I had spent almost two years living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I always tell people we were foreign missionaries down there. We just never did learn the language. (laughs) I worked in TV and radio. And my dad had cancer. The day I moved down to Baton Rouge was the day that he told my brother and I that the doctors had diagnosed him that he has cancer. And so we weren't there quite two years and we wanted to move home so we could be with my family and be with my dad, kind of help my mom. We actually lived with my parents through a lot of that hard stuff. We had been married just a little, no, actually almost, we hadn't reached the two year mark, we're newlyweds. You know what I'm saying? Jerry and I were just almost two years been married and there was a season of our life that, like, we were just at each other. You know, I could do nothing right. I know that's going to shock you, you know. And so I was at deer season. I was doing what I've done since I was five years old. I was down deer hunting at our deer cabin down at Daisy. And, like, there were, like, three days. Like, she and I didn't talk. Like, she didn't like me, and I didn't like her. And so, like, it was full-blown on marital nuclear war. <laughs> Like, I can't even tell you what we were fighting about, but it was very emotional, all right? So I could take you to the spot where I was on the road. I was on 169, getting close to the 244 interchange, and I'm just kind of at my wit's end. And I'm, I just said, good gosh, what's the matter with you? That did not help the situation. I'm just going to clarify, okay? And I just blurted out. I said, like, are you pregnant or something? There was dead silence on the phone. And then there were tears. Oh my God, I didn't want to tell you like this. I wanted to tell you in person. So I figured out. And all of a sudden, my life over the last three or four weeks clearly made sense. And in an instant, I went from being a grumpy troll to, oh my gosh, baby, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need daddy to get you? Now, she gonna tell you I didn't do that? She lying. Listen to her rumors. You know, if you have kids, you can remember the anticipation, the dreaming before that first one got here, like the great care that that was given before that first child was born, and and then that sweet little baby gets here, it feels like they never leave. You know what I'm saying? Like they eat every two hours, and then when they eat, it discharges what they eat, and until they're like four That discharging involves you. Mama, come wipe my... Never mind, I won't finish that, but your kids did that too, you know what I'm saying? The idea of having a baby is so sweet and so cute and it's so cuddly until you're about night 13 without sleep and then you're like, Jesus, send some mercy, you know? We love the story of baby Jesus. That's what the hustle and the fuss is all about this time of year. There are people who are not even Christians all across the world that will stop and celebrate the birth of cute little baby Jesus. I mean, even professional race car driver Ricky Bobby 
He liked praying to eight-pound, six-ounce infant baby Jesus. I'm saying we, there's just something about the birth of Jesus. We have our homes and our yards decorated with nativity scenes that depict the different characters that Scripture talks about. We sing sweet little songs. Then, then we sing sweet little songs like Away in a Manger that paints this picture of cattle lowing. I don't even know what that means, right? And we talk about this peaceful night that Jesus was born. And then when you dig into the story, like I guess it was a silent night until the drummer boy showed up. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. But the whole birth of Jesus wasn't very peaceful. A husband took his very pregnant wife she was great with child. He decides to take her on a trail ride. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't even take a pregnant woman in her third trimester on a cruise ship. And Joseph decides, hey, let's just saddle up the donkey and go for a little trail ride. That's a bad idea. That's a stressful idea. He didn't even book a room when they got there. There's a lot of stress that surrounds the birth of our Savior, Jesus. The title of this series is called No Room. Because that night Jesus was born, they didn't have a lot of options. What do you do when you have circumstances where you just run out of options? You don't know what to do. There's not a lot of things that you can do. So Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1 are the two gospels and they're the two chapters in Scripture that describe the birth of Jesus, but they go into detail as to giving the family tree or the family lineage of Jesus and quick study if you like look at those all of a sudden you'll realize they're not the same they're giving two different th those names that Matthew talks about are not necessarily the same names that Luke describes and there's a lot of great reading on that there's a lot of biblical commentary or theories about why Matthew's lineage is different than Luke's lineage that he gives about Jesus one of the most common theories is that Matthew it's telling the birth and telling the story about Jesus' birth from Joseph's standpoint. And Matthew talks about Joseph when Luke really doesn't go into detail about Joseph. Matthew also gives the lineage that we believe is the lineage of Joseph, while Luke gives the story from Mary's perspective and the lineage of Mary. Now, both of the stories or, or both of the lineages go all the way back to King David. Scripture describes Jesus as a son of David or a descendant of David. Matthew goes back to David's son Solomon, where Luke goes back to one of David's son by the name of Nathan. And what's interesting is Matthew basically describes that Jesus is a descendant of kings, and Luke describes that he's a descendant of princes. Before I go any further in the story, there's three terms. You probably already know I want to use them in today's context, but I also want to take you to ancient history context. So the first term, it's still a term we use today, engagement. Very similar in Bible times as to what we would do today. Today, a young man would buy a ring. He would go talk to the parents, make sure he has the blessing. He would get down on one knee and say, I sure do love you. Would you marry me? And that can go one of two ways. I mean, she can say yes or she can say no. That's a bad day. Hopefully, wherever he bought the ring has a return policy, right? Okay, but today, marriages in the United States of America, in our context, are the guy proposes to the girl, she can say yes or no. In ancient times, specifically when this done, it was very common practice that engagements or marriages were pre-arranged. 
where the parents of a young boy would approach the parents of a young woman, and whether it was political reasons, financial reasons, business purposes, or whatever, these two families would say, when these kids grow up, we're going to prearrange they're going to get married. Okay, and that, so you could be five years old and be engaged, all right? Which is the reason why there is another word for engagement that's called betrothal. And you have to say it with a really bad English accent. Oh, they're betrothed, all right? So there's betrothal. And it's a little bit different from an engagement, all right? Today, the engagement is the guy proposes, she says yes or no. In biblical times, it was quite possible that it was prearranged. Now, betrothal, very, very, very similar to engagement, and we don't even really use that word today unless we're trying to be funny or something. This is my betrothed. We don't use betrothal a lot today because it's changed in time. But in ancient history times, the betrothal would represent, because remember, you could be engaged at the age of five, but betrothal meant I'm within 12 months of getting married. That last year, right up before the official ceremony, then things really kind of escalated a little quickly, and so that's what was called betrothed, all right? Could be engaged at five, but now we're about to get married, we're betrothed. Then there's the last term, marriage. It's still all very similar. It's what takes place after the official wedding ceremony, okay? So you've got the engagement. It could happen when a child is young. You have the betrothal, which happens within 12 months of being there. By the way, Luke in the earlier translation says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So that gives us a little bit of insight into the timeline as to when this story takes place. They're about to have the official wedding ceremony, but they're not there yet. They're just betrothed. All right, so the holy family, which is Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, it's quite possible that Joseph got down on one ring, one, one knee, popped out a ring, said, I sure do like you, you will marry me. You know, but it's also very possible that that marriage engagement was prearranged, that his parents, when he was young, met with Mary's parents and they prearranged that marriage. Okay, you got all that, and then Matthew and Luke both say, there's a little bit of chaos in the story. Things are gonna get a little bit crazy. So I'm gonna read from Matthew's gospel. I'll kind of stop and point out some important details that pertain to our story. A couple of times I'll reference Luke's gospel, but for the most part for our story today in dealing with Joseph, because remember, Matthew is from Joseph's perspective. I'm going to use Matthew's gospel. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged be married to Joseph. Now, we don't know a lot about that engagement. Was it prearranged? Was it not? What have you? Keep in mind, Luke says they were betrothed, which would also say they were engaged, but they're within a year of being married. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, God did this to her. She didn't do the things you do to get pregnant. God saw something in Mary. He says, I choose for you to give birth to my son, Jesus, and so she gets pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what we call the immaculate or miraculous conception. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son. You will name him Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophets. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. I personally think it's a little bit of a tragedy we don't know more about Joseph. And, and, and God clearly wanted it to be that way. But I, I wish we knew a lot more about Joseph. We don't know a lot about him. Matter of fact, by the time Jesus begins his ministry, when Jesus is an adult, Joseph isn't even mentioned. He's not even in the story. Our assumption is he is dead. Which, by the way, that same assumption leans to why many think that Joseph was older than Mary. But, but there's, no, there's no context to that. He could have just died in a freak donkey accident. We, we don't know. Okay? The last time that Joseph was actually mentioned is at the end of Luke chapter 2. Let me tell you that story. They had married Joseph and Jesus and taken a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Okay? The Bible tells us that Jesus was 12. And maybe through watching TV or reading or whatever, you've heard the term bar mitzvah. It's a Jewish thing. That when a young man turns 12 in Jewish culture, that means he's now 18. Okay? In U.S. culture, we, we mean they're... I said that back. Hang on. And when they're bar mitzvah, they're 12. That means they're an adult. In our culture, when they're 18, we say, okay, now that you can carry adult responsibilities. But in Jewish culture, that took place when your kid's were 12. They were bar mitzvahed and they were considered old enough to make adult decisions and in many cases be responsible for themselves. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are at the temple and a lot of times those groups that would travel, they would travel in different groups. Like they might let the women get a head start and all the ladies would travel together and they would just talk about all the gossip and all this type of stuff. And then the next group that come along might be the husbands or the men, they're traveling together and we know what they're talking about, they're talking all about all the women. Right? And so they would travel together. So they get to the first place where they set camp as they're traveling. And like Joseph expects to walk into camp and see Jesus, and he's not there. And Mary's like, I thought he was with you. And Joseph says, I thought he was with you. And Jesus was actually back in Jerusalem at his father's house. The last time we hear the name Joseph referenced in terms of the context of the story with Jesus is when they left their kid at church. Under no circumstances should you ever leave your child at church on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? We'll be here when you come get them, but you have to come get them on the same day, all right? Otherwise, Matt and Cassie will take them home and let it stay with Moo. It's fine. For any child that's left behind, we give free puppies and a whole lot of Mountain Dew, right? That's what we do. We don't know a lot about Joseph, other than he was put in a tough, splay, tough place. He didn't have a lot of options. But he did respond well to the situation he was handed. God saw something in Joseph. As a matter of fact, God saw something in Mary, too. God saw something in this couple that he said, I want you, Joseph, I want you to be, by law, technically, he's the stepdad to Jesus. God said, Joseph, I want you to raise my son. So if you've ever found yourself in a situation like Joseph, what do you do when you don't have a lot of options? What do you do when you feel like walls are closing in on you? You really don't know what to do. Joseph's a pretty quiet character in Scripture. We only have four chapters in the Bible that actually mention his name and, and talk about him. Yet, he was entrusted with a massive responsibility to be the stepdad to Jesus. So, 
at the risk of someone being confused, because I, I, I want you to just be able to clear. So maybe you're new to church or maybe you're new to the Jesus story. I want to just pause here for about 23 seconds and just clearly explain and break down Joseph's dilemma. He's engaged to a woman that is pregnant and it's not his child. And the story she's trying to sell him is like God did this. <laughs> right, like the dog ate your homework, right? You know what I'm saying? That's the story she's saying is like the Holy Spirit did this and he's not buying it. He's not buying what he's selling. And so the Bible tells us that he was quietly going to just put her away. Many think Joseph was older than Mary. Again, that whole he died by the time Jesus was in ministry. Some people think Joseph was married before Mary because Jesus does have siblings. He does. Matter of fact, one of them is a guy by the name of James. We have his book in the Bible. He's a half-brother to Jesus. He was one of the elders of the church. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He eventually came to faith in Christ after Jesus died in his resurrection. But we have biblical record that Jesus has siblings. We just don't know if they were before Jesus. I personally believe they were Joseph and Mary's children that came after Jesus. But there's a lot of interesting commentary and reading on the internet. If you like digging into that, you can certainly do so. Joseph is engaged to Mary. She's pregnant. And his not what you think and an angel shows up and has a little message for her this is Luke talking to Mary again Matthew is Joseph's story Luke is Mary's story don't be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God you'll conceive and give birth to a son and you're going to name him Jesus then the angel said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you the power of the most high will overshadow you and so the baby will be born will be holy. It's not conceived like any other child. Mary did not have sex to conceive Jesus. It was something that God immaculately, miraculously conceived in her womb. And Joseph ain't buying it. So now Joseph has a choice. The woman, she's, the woman he's engaged to is pregnant. She's trying to tell him a wild and crazy story. And so that's where we're going to pick back up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. You still with me? It ain't confusing yet. I'm just telling you, it's about to get, you're going to wrap your head in duct tape so it don't explode. All right. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it said, Joseph, to whom Mary was engaged, was a righteous man. What do you do when you don't have options? What did Joseph do when he ran out of options? And the first thing we can learn from Joseph's story is we need to live righteous. Or you can take the eus off and just live right. Right living. That's what Joseph did. Joseph was a righteous guy. He was do the right kind of things kind of guy. I don't know if you have a life verse or a verse that's kind of a favorite, but man, for a long time for me, my life verse has been Galatians 6, 9. It says this, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. So at the right time, you'll reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. I put that in what I call the BKV, the Brent Kellogg version, right? Like never get tired of doing the right thing. Because if you do the right thing long enough, right things are going to happen to you. God's going to bless you for doing the right thing, even when no one's around, even when no one's watching. Live righteous. Never get tired of doing the right things. Joseph was a righteous man. He lived right. Now, the term righteous can get a little confusing. We don't use it. I mean, some of us who grew up in the 90s, oh, 
righteous. Like that was a thing, but it's not like you won't use it tomorrow at work when you're talking to a person like, well, I made the righteous decision. Like it's just not a part of our normal vocabulary. We don't use the term righteous a lot in our modern vocabulary unless we come to church and we start talking about we are made righteous through Christ and we don't know what it means, but we say, woo, amen. You know, we just, so and it's a confusing because there's two definitions. There's two meanings to word righteous. Hold you, it's going to hurt your brain. So living right, we are made right with Christ. Let me show you Philippians 3, 9. Paul says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends upon faith. Okay? But we just read in Matthew that Joseph was a righteous man. So now I've got two definitions of righteous that are working. So I'm going to go back at the risk of sounding like a seminary professor. I'm going to give you the Greek word for righteous. It's dikaiosune. You will not be tested on that. I can't even say it again right. You know what I'm saying? No. The Greek word dikaiosune, it has two meanings. The first meaning for righteous is that I'm in right standing with God. When God looks down at me, he doesn't see the big old hot mess that kicks the dog and loses his temper. He doesn't see that. He sees I'm in right standing because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I'm going to explain all this. I'm going to drill into this, all right? That's the first meaning is that I'm in right standing. I'm made righteous to God, with God, because of what Christ did on the cross. The other meaning of righteous is what Joseph was, a man of character, a man of integrity, a man of morals. He lived right. So I've got right standing. God looks down and he sees me, and I'm righteous. I'm in right standing with God. But the other meaning of the word righteous, and we don't just tell the difference in Scripture. They just throw the word out there. But means that I am like Joseph, that I live right, I'm moral, person of integrity, person of character. All right? So Philippians 3.9. I became righteous through Christ by faith, okay? But then you have Matthew 1.19, that Joseph was a man of character, integrity, he was righteous. So two meanings, all right? But I know this is a little bit confusing, and so I have, and may help one person out of first service said it helped, so maybe it'll help you. But I've created what I call the circle of righteousness to kind of explain this, all right? So at the bottom of the circle, See what I did there? Yeah, that. Bottom of the circle, I am a sinner. The Bible says we have all made mistakes. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am in sin and in need of a Savior. That's about the lowest you can be on the circle of life is I'm apart from God. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ate the fruit, that sin, that disobedience, it separated them from God. Now, I didn't make the rules. Because some of you would go, well, that seems a little bit extreme, you know? We all make mistakes. Can't we have some grace? That's what we would say today. To which God would say, yes, you can have some grace. That's why he sent Jesus to be born of a baby. Growing to be a man, crucified on the cross, so that you and I might have grace. Jesus was sent to pay for our sin. And so because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he shed his blood on the cross, 
And by me accepting that, by placing my faith and my trust and my belief in him, by becoming a Christian, I am made right with God. I'm in right standing. I'm made righteous. Okay? I'm put in right standing with God. So hit the next slide if you would. Boom. That happened because of what Jesus did on the cross. I am put in right standing, not because I kept a bunch of rules, not because I deserved it, because I didn't. Because at the bottom, I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I, my life was full of mistakes. Jesus died on the cross, paid away for me now to be in right relationship and right standing with God. If that makes sense, say yeah. All right. Now, because of faith, I put my faith in Jesus. He forgave my sins. He saved me. I am now in right standing. And when I do that, the Bible says that when you invite Jesus into your life, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, okay? That whole greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. When I enter into relationship with God, I place my faith in Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit, the presence, the essence of God that is on the earth, it comes and dwells in my spirit. And so now I have God living in me, all right? And so, being in right standing, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and when God's Holy Spirit comes into my life, it now puts a desire for me to live right. Like when I get saved in the Holy Spirit, I mean, it don't happen overnight, it's not like an automatic thing, but as I become a Christian and I get saved in God's Holy Spirit, now there becomes this desire, this pull, this conviction to live rightly okay so i was in right standing i am in right standing but that being in right standing also puts this pull and desire for me to live right with my life hebrews 10 16 it says this is the new covenant i will make with my people on that day says the lord i will put my laws in their hearts and on their minds meaning when i'm in right standing with god when i become a christian this holy spirit comes in and that holy spirit guides me and pulls me and convinces me that I want to live right with God, which takes me to the top of the circle, okay? I'm in right standing with God because of what Christ did. It put this pull, this desire, this conviction in me to live rightly. That's the sweet spot of life because the Holy Spirit in me is compelling me to do better, live better, right? This is the sweet spot. This is where I'm growing because of God's Spirit. I'm becoming a better Christian. I'm doing my best to live righteous and so this is where right standing and right living converge is at the top of the circle all right place that we should strive to be you with me now let's take one more step am i going to make mistakes yeah am i always going to get this right no i'm going to fail i'm i'm going to sin i'm going to eat another bite of fruit go ahead and hit the next slide i'm going to make mistakes now here's the deal it, it doesn't change my standing with God. I'm still in right standing with God. It doesn't unsave me because I cussed at the dog or kicked the kid. No, kicked the dog. Kick, I, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't unsave me. It doesn't change my standing. But for my spiritual growth, for the sake of my soul, for the sake of who I am, I need to confess and I need to repent and I need to start the circle all over, which takes me back to the bottom of the circle. That I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, okay? So when I confess 
It doesn't re-save me. It doesn't re-put me in standing. God saved me. His love is big enough to overcome my Monday morning mess-ups, right? But it's good for my soul. It's good for my spiritual growth. God's grace is bigger than anything that I can mess up. Lamentations 3.22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Amen. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Because he is faithful and just to forgive us, I get a new day, I get new grace, and a new desire to live right for him. Be careful. If there is a plus side to sin, and there's not, but if there was a silver lining to when we stumble and fall, there's a couple of things that happen. Number one, it reminds me of who I used to be. And it reminds me, I don't want to be that. There's nothing in like waking up the next morning after whatever. And that feeling and remembering the person that I used to be and just being able to say, you know what, God, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And if there's a plus side, it reminds me how great and how big God's love and his grace for me really, really, really is. Romans says, just how deep and how wide and how great and how big God's love is for us. So, circle, please. Here's the caution with the circle. Okay? Because this is where being made in right standing compels me to right living where they merge together. But, but the enemy will take anything and he'll distort it. All right, so if I start at the bottom that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, I move up to what Christ did on the cross, put me in right standing with God at the top of the circle. That's because I've been made right through Christ's work on the cross. The Holy Spirit's in me compelling me to live better. I want to live right. And I get to this part where I make mistakes. If I ever get over here and I start to think, I want to say this carefully. If I ever start to think that God loves me because of how I behave, that creates a very dangerous trap for you. It just does. We would start to believe God only loves me only when I behave correctly. And here's the deal. God loves you because you are his, not necessarily because of how you behave. Should I follow the Bible? Yep, God put these rules and laws and principles in play when he created this universe, like gravity. I'll do really well if I abide by the laws of gravity, otherwise I'm gonna be walking around with some broken bones, okay? There's also some other principles, like more blessed to give than it is to receive. You can be a stingy old goat and still be in right standing with God, but if you will tap into those principles, your life on earth will be so much gooder. I know it's not right. Gooder. There are laws and principles and rules. God's ways works every time, okay? God loves you because you are his, not necessarily because of how you behave. But if I behave rightly, there is blessing that's associated with that, okay? Please, please, please tell me that makes sense. Matt, does that make sense? Can I say we good? God loves you because you're his. The first day at St. John's Hospital, when I held baby boy Landon in my arms and saw his beautiful blue eyes, I'm just telling you, everything changed in that moment because he was mine. It changed how I saw God. I'm just telling you, I saw God in a whole new way. I saw how, I saw myself 
I saw how I saw my wife. Listen, are there times as parents we want to pinch our kids' heads off and tell God they died? Yes, sure, right? But they're still mine. Doesn't mean they're not my kids anymore. Are there times we need to set boundaries with our children? Yes. Are there times our children need to be disciplined and corrected? Absolutely. Somewhere we've created this idea that the absence of discipline is love, and that's not true. It's actually the exact opposite, what Matthew 12 says. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes ones that are his. For some reason, we go through hard times. The enemy has told us that means God doesn't love us, and that's not true. Because I am made right with what Christ did on the cross, and I believe by faith. It takes me to the top of the circle. Because I'm made right with Christ, the Holy Spirit is compelling me, convicting me, and pulling me, and begging me, and helping me to live rightly. And that's where right living and right standing converge. Amen, everybody. If I don't have that desire to live right for Christ, if I don't care if I please God or not, if I don't care if I'm sin or not, then you've never been made right in the first place. Because along with salvation comes a desire to live like yourself. Your head hurt yet? Try being me. All right. Joseph lived right. He lived right. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom Mary was engaged, was a righteous man. And he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. What do I do when I face a lack of options? Live right, and then secondly, show mercy. Joseph was backed into a corner. He could have come out swinging, but instead he chose to show mercy. By Jewish law, if he did not believe her story, that God did this to me, I haven't been out sleeping around, if, if he doesn't believe that story, then he could have put her on trial, he could have had her sentenced to death, and he could have had her killed by execution by people throwing stones and killing her, all for this, because of adultery. But there was a gentleness about Joseph, there was a mercy, there was a mature, gracious side to Joseph that he did not want to disgrace her publicly. He was going to handle a very public matter, which is marriage, big, very wedding ceremony, and a woman that's great with child. A big, that's a very public matter. He wanted to handle that as privately as possible. And this is where I wish I knew more about Joseph. This is where I want to know more about his story. And God, I'm sure for some reason, does this on purpose. There's a lot of theories about him. There's a lot of ideas about who he was. Was he older than Mary? Was he married before? Some suggest he was like more like a older father figure that was a caregiver. I don't buy into that. But there was a gracious maturity about Joseph that we discover in just these short few verses. I'm guessing it's more than he was just a good-natured guy. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what Joseph had been through. Had he been married before? And did he lose that wife? Did his first wife die? Did grief have a refining impact on his life and how he would live the rest of his days? Had he made mistakes in his previous marriage that cost him? We don't know. But there was something in Joseph that caused him to show mercy to a woman that circumstantially it looked like she had had an affair and cheated on him, and that's why she's pregnant. 
And I think you and I can all take an example from Joseph's life. If we have to do hard things, let us choose to do them in gentle and the most tenderest of ways. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. When he faced a lack of oxygen, Joseph lived rightly, Joseph showed mercy, and number three, he walked obediently. What do you do? What do I do when I don't have a lot of options? I just obey. I just walk in obedience. If I don't say this right now, I'm gonna forget there is no number four to the sermon. There is no number four. I had 17 people on the way out go, you didn't tell me number four. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. So uh, number four is Joseph became an OSU fan. I mean, it is. It is what it is. You know, a lot of grief. We know why he's a merciful guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just scratch through that. Right? He walked obediently. I don't know about you, but I put Joseph's shoes on. I would have had doubts says that he had a dream and an angel appeared to him. What in the mother of Mary just happened? You know what I'm saying? What was that? Was that an angel? Was that a dream? Was that the bad baklava I ate at the corner cafe yesterday? What's going on here? There are times that you and I have to obey no matter if we understand. We still have to obey the voice of God. There are times that you and I have to obey no matter the cost. There would be people that could do the math on how old Jesus was and what their anniversary was. There'd be people who could do the math and figure out. Doesn't add up to nine months. And this situation is distressing. It's even humiliating for Mary, for her reputation, for her honor. But it's also humiliating for Joseph and his integrity is at stake as well. And Joseph found the big faith to face all of that criticism and face all of that rejection, and face all of that public ridicule that that may come along with, and he still, regardless of what people might say, he still humbly chose to obey God anyway. As I was reading through this story, and I had these three points, remember there's no fourth one, I had these three points right now, and it just kept ringing a bell, and it just kept ringing a bell, and just kept ringing a bell, and I remembered what the prophet Micah said in Micah chapter six, verse eight. We'll use it in the old translation. He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. Like, what does God ask of you? And this is what the prophet Micah said, that you would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Maybe it's the writings of the prophet Micah that inspired Joseph how to live his life, that you would do the right thing, do justly, that you would show mercy, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, walk obediently. What do you do when you're out of options? Well, life throws you some unfair, unexpected circumstances. I think you and I should take a lead from Joseph's playbook, and we should take a lead from the prophet Micah's playbook. Do the right thing even when no one's looking. Do the right thing. Strive. Because I'm in right standing with Christ, live right for God. Man, it's been really easy in COVID to let this stumble a little bit. Some of us just need to reinfuse some energy into our spirituality and our obedience to the voice of God. Do the right thing even when no one's looking. What do I do when I'm backed in a corner and I don't have a lot of options? Show mercy. Even when we have to do the hard stuff, let's do it in the gentle and most tender ways that we can. And then walk obedient with God, no matter 
what rejection, no matter what reputation, no matter what's said of you, walk obediently, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do you have a desire on the inside of you to do that? I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.